Which is better, to err on the side of loving acceptance or to err on the side of caution? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, you're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, January the 31st of 2012, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today, downloading this message, and participating in this study that we're doing on the Book of Romans. Uh, This is one... Actually, I think we started uh, sometime in the middle of February, uh, five years ago. Can you believe we've been doing this for, for... you know, just short of five years now, but uh, it's been a great study, and um, yeah, the Lord has definitely grown me through this study. I hope he's grown you too. I've got a couple really big announcements, or one really big announcement, and another announcement for you guys today before we get started with our lesson. The first uh, announcement that I have for you guys is that we have some special music that we're going to be closing with today. Um, about, I guess, 15 years ago, uh, there was an artist, uh, a Christian artist that I uh, kind of listened to regularly. Her name was Miss Angie. Um, those of you who were Christians back then, you may have heard of her, you may not have, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but she had a couple albums that came out in the mid to late 90s. And uh, this was before I, you know, got into the casino business and all that stuff, before I really uh, kind of fell away from God for a season of my life. Um, but I, I was really into her her music. Well, I was talking with a friend of mine on Facebook about uh, her her CDs back in the day, and so I googled her name just to see you know what came up, and I found out that she has some new music that's come out. So we're going to be closing uh, today's lesson with her song "Wanting My Heart," which is uh, just such a beautiful song, and I, I really appreciate. Uh, her her new sound so much. Um, it's a lot of piano. It's very heartfelt, very authentic worship uh, type of music, which is something that, you know, honestly, uh, it, it doesn't sound like everything else. You know, it, you know, you go to the uh, to the Christian bookstore and you listen to music, and let's be honest, a lot of it sounds the same. It's all kind of the same genre. Christian music is kind of its own genre. Uh, and this is outside of that, which is something that I think is, is really beautiful because it's very, very sincere. Uh, you can find her music by going to missangie.net. Uh, you can also find her her music on uh, on Amazon, on iTunes. Her, her new album is out, and she's been uh, gracious enough to allow us to, uh, to have one of her songs, to feature one of her songs, uh, Wanting My Heart. And we're going to close with that today. I want you guys to really listen to that. It's really a, a beautiful song. I mean, I, I have listened literally shed tears listening to that song. No joke. So have a listen, buy her stuff, check her out. She's, uh, she's great. Her music is phenomenal. The big announcement for today is that our app is finally live. Uh, now listen very carefully uh, for how to get it. Um, BibleStudyPodcasts.org was too big of a name, according to Apple. And so what you need to do if you want to find it, it's Bible SP, 
Bible SP on uh, on the iTunes app market. You can find it there. And the reason it took so long, I guess this kind of makes sense. Uh, I went through a developer, and the developer uh, submitted over a hundred Christian podcasts. Uh, you know, mine included, and some of them were churches, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, they submitted over a hundred of them at one time, and Apple immediately rejected all of them and said that's just too many uh, Christian podcasts to be putting out at one time or Christian uh, apps to be putting out at one time, uh, which is kind of fishy. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to comment on that. But anyway, so the developer came back and said, well, you know, we, we want to appeal this. And so they appealed it. And of course, that took a couple weeks and so finally, today, Tuesday, January 31st, the app just went live today. You can find it on iTunes in the app market under Bible SP. I'm sorry that it took so long, but I hope that it's something that blesses you guys. For those of you who have uh, you know, an iPod, an iPad, or an iPhone, you can, uh, you can stream the podcasts through that now. So praise the Lord for that. What a blessing that is. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, for the work that you have done in this ministry, Lord, for sustaining us for five years. Lord, we give you the glory for what you have done, uh, and I thank you, Lord, that you have uh, that your word has been taught around the world uh, through this ministry, Lord. Uh, it's truly humbling for me. God, I pray that today we would get a better idea of what type of life pleases you, what type of attitude pleases you. Teach us to be humble. Help us to be teachable for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our previous lesson on Romans, which was Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, we talked about something called the homogeneity principle, and that is the sociological principle, which I guess it basically refers to the way that we like to be around people who are uh, a lot like us, who have a lot of things in common with us, you know, people who, who look like us, people who dress like us, they talk like us, etc. And the conclusion is that this is a principle which should never be played out in Christian circles because we should be eager to embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of cultural differences and regardless of differences on minor doctrinal issues. That's the key there, minor doctrinal issues. If we belong to Jesus, we have to perceive and value things the way that Jesus perceives and values things. And Jesus placed an incredibly high value, a priority, on the unity of his followers, the unity of believers. Now, over the course of the past week, uh, this is something that you guys may or may not have heard about, but this was an issue that has risen to the surface of the blogosphere on the internet. Uh, T.D. Jakes is a teacher who has, for several years, uh, denied the doctrine of the Trinity. The website for his ministry, which is called The Potter's House, says that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all, quote, manifestations, end quote, of the one God, that is. Uh, this is, of course, much more than a difference uh, in semantics. Rather, it's the language used by the Oneness Pentecostal cult, which is the group that T.D. Jakes comes from. Now, he's a flamboyant, a charismatic leader with hundreds of thousands of followers, literally. And for years, mainstream evangelical Christians have shunned him. Uh, James McDonald, however, is an orthodox, doctrinally solid 
evangelical leader who wanted to open the channels of communication with Jakes. And thus, he issued an invitation for Jakes to come to a convention called the Elephant Room 2. There was an Elephant Room 1 last year. This was the Elephant Room 2. And it's a conference in which complicated issues that we're facing, uh, those things are opened up for discussion. And for McDonald to even issue that invitation was an extremely controversial decision uh, that may have even cost him friends. For McDonald to even issue that invitation was was really, really controversial. Some were saying, you know, how dare he issue an invitation to a heretic? Uh, you know, that's, that's a valid point, I think. Uh, but on the other hand, others were saying, you know, it's about time we opened up the channels of communication with this guy. I'd say that that is an equally valid point. The problem at this conference was that it became evident that neither James McDonald nor Mark Driscoll, who were the the guys who were in charge of leading the discussion with Jakes, neither of them were familiar with the type of smoke that cults blow out. Uh, According to the notes taken by Trevin Wax, uh, who tends to be a pretty reliable source and who was in attendance, Jakes uh, said some things like, quote, there is very little difference between what I believe and what you believe, but I don't think anything that any of us believes fully describes what God is, end quote. Now, that might be true, but there are things that we definitely do know about God. And over the course of a couple hundred years and myriad uh, councils and discussions about the matter, theologians came to the consensus that there is one God who is three persons. That's the Trinity. And this belief was solidified by the Nicene Creed and later by the Athanasian Creed. So with that said, the difference between modalism, which has been the position of Jake's, the position that there is uh, one God who is one person, the difference between modalism and Trinitarianism might seem small, but it's significant. It's extremely significant. In response to this smokescreen, Mark Driscoll asked, quote, We would all agree that in the nature of God there's mystery, but within that, for you, Bishop Jakes, the issue is one God manifesting himself successively in three ways, or one God existing eternally in three persons. What is your understanding now? End quote. Now, this is the right question. He's asking the right question, but listen carefully to how T.D. Jakes responds. He responds by saying, quote, I believe that the latter one is where I stand today. One God, three persons. I am not crazy about the word persons, though. You describe manifestations as modalist, but I describe it as Pauline, for God was manifest in the flesh. Paul was not a modalist, but he doesn't think it's robbery to say manifest in the flesh, end quote. So for Jake's, one isolated verse is enough. It's sufficient to justify the rejection of the word persons and replace it with manifestations. But with that said, I'm honestly just not exactly sure what to think other than to say that neither McDonald nor Driscoll knew where to go from there. Um, that, That was really where they fell short, I felt. They needed to press the issue and ask that Jake's define his terminology. Uh, one former oneness Pentecostal pastor named Jordan Dayu blogged about it, writing, quote, Driscoll and McDonald let him expound on his own views and experiences, and I know it was in a spirit of love. What they're unable to detect, because they're unfamiliar, is the ecumenical smokescreen that big-time prosperity preachers like Jake's put up because he really cares nothing for theology. And he goes on to say, he sees theology simply as petty divisions 
among varying tribes of Christian sects. Because he sees himself as a bridge builder, doctrine is merely semantics among those who profess Christ. He told them he believed in, quote, God in three persons, but never called himself a Trinitarian. His position today is exactly what it was 15 years ago. Vague, end quote. I think that sums it up nicely. So what are we supposed to do with that? You know, this is something that a lot of people are going to arrive at different conclusions on, honestly. So the first thing that I I would like to say is that we shouldn't divide ourselves about this issue. In other words, let's say that I'm all for completely rejecting Jake's. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't embrace someone who's completely for embracing Jake's. Does that make sense? Hopefully that clarifies it a little bit. That's the attitude that we should have with one another. That's the spirit of love that should be present among brothers and sisters in Christ. One so-called apologist tweeted about, uh, you know, four things that T.D. Jakes must do before I embrace him as a brother in Christ. Honestly, when I saw that, I was, I was saddened and angered. I mean, he was asking for more from T.D. Jakes than the Bible does. Nevertheless, while I disagree with him, with this, with this apologist, uh, I do embrace him as a brother in Christ, and I would hope that he'd do the same with me. Now, just a side note, by the way, the issue with Jake's that we're discussing here is modalism. Uh, he's also recognized as a prosperity teacher, which is an issue that wasn't even covered at the Elephant Room to discussion. Uh, and that is another issue that I would need to see resolved before I made a decision uh, one way or the other with Jake's. But listen to what Paul writes next in our Romans text. He writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, before we put our trust for salvation and forgiveness in Jesus alone, you know what we were? You know where we were? We're enemies of God. It's through Christ that we're accepted by God. There's no other way. And he accepted us fully, despite our faults and despite our weaknesses. He covered our sin with his righteousness, because that's what was required for God to accept us. And the result is that we were as fully accepted by God the Father as Jesus is. There is no fuller acceptance than that. And yet, Paul's instruction here is that we have that exact same type of acceptance for one another. Our purpose in life is to give glory to God and to bring glory to God in all that we do. We can't do that. Honestly, we can't do that when we're getting ourselves tangled up in petty disagreements and arguments about trivial matters. You know, I'm reminded of how Paul and Barnabas had a falling out about whether or not they should bring John Mark on their missionary trip. Did John Mark follow Jesus? Well, honestly, I would say that that would be the most important requirement for missions work, right? So yeah, I think John Mark did follow Jesus. Based on that, Barnabas was prepared to bring John Mark along. But Paul said, wait a minute, you know, this guy left us high and dry last time. He's unreliable. I can't count on him. So there's no way that I'm bringing him with us. And so the result was that Paul and Barnabas, who had been friends, brothers, companions for years, disagreed so strongly that they went their different ways. They split up rather than resolving their disagreement. You know what they didn't do before they made their decision? I've probably talked about it on the podcast before. They didn't pray. They didn't pray. Now, it's not that Paul didn't embrace John Mark as a brother in Christ necessarily. He just thought that John Mark was too unreliable for tough work. But was God glorified in the way this disagreement was handled? 
You know, based on the fact that they didn't even seek God's counsel through prayer, I'd have to say that no, you know, God probably wasn't glorified in that situation. What I want us to see in this story is that it wasn't the norm. It wasn't the usual thing to see in the Bible. It was weird. It was unexpected and and uh, unprecedented. Up until this point, we see so much incredible unity and harmony among those who followed Jesus. I mean, the early church had been scared to death to bring Paul into their midst following Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. But ultimately, what did they do? They embraced him. They welcomed him. They accepted him. Reluctantly? Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure that they were reluctant to do it. But they gave him the benefit of the doubt. They were going to give him the chance to prove their decision to embrace him wrong rather than refusing to embrace him at all. See, my opinion is that we should probably be as apprehensive of questionable leaders who appear to have possibly turned from their error as the early church was about Paul. But it's more important for us to embrace someone as a brother in Christ than it is for us to put that decision on hold. It would be better for us to be proven wrong than to refuse to embrace someone who we might think is questionable as a brother in Christ. Does that mean that I embrace T.D. Jakes? Well, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Not not quite yet, because the issue of him teaching a false gospel of prosperity hasn't been addressed yet. Uh, Were it not for that issue... Man, I would want to be the first one to accept him as a brother in Christ. And hopefully that's the attitude that we all have, that we would be so eager, we would want to be the first one to embrace someone, to welcome someone. And hopefully uh, this issue of him teaching a false gospel, the prosperity gospel, can be resolved in the near future now that the channels of communication with him are open. His position on the Trinity is indeed vague, but I would rather be eager to accept him and be wrong than I would be to sin by refusing to accept as a brother someone whom God himself has accepted. In Acts 18, we find that there was this charismatic, influential debater, teacher, by the name of Apollos. Uh, But he was unaware of some of the issues regarding Jesus. And Luke tells us that, quote, he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. That's from Acts chapter 18, verse 25. In verse 26, we read, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, the Greek word that gets translated took aside is actually the same word that Paul uses for accept. Do you see how that fits together? And so thus we can, we can paraphrase this. We can see that when, quote, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they accepted him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It's the same Greek word. Was he a brother in Christ? I mean, you know, he was mistaken about something that was important enough uh, that it immediately needed to be corrected. And I don't know if Priscilla and Aquila knew entirely one way or the other, if he was uh, actually a brother in Christ, but they accepted him, opening up channels of communication. And that's the reason that they were able to correct his theology. Of course, if Apollos had refused to receive their correction, uh, they wouldn't have embraced him as a brother in Christ, but they had to take a risk. They had to take the chance that they would be wrong, and that's never an easy thing to do. You know what the first instruction that Paul gave to the church in Corinth was in the letter of 1 Corinthians? Paul wrote in verses 10 and 11 of the first chapter, 
Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. You see, here was a church that was bickering and dividing itself over things that ultimately didn't matter. And Paul's basically telling them, quit arguing. You're all part of the same body. So accept each other, stand together, be united with one another. Back to our text in Romans, we need to understand that the divisions in the early Roman church were primarily between the Jews and the Gentiles uh, in the church body. In the second chapter of Acts, we see what happened on the day of Pentecost as each of the apostles uh, spoke the gospel message in various languages, various tongues, to the people who had come to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, it's not a coincidence that there were 12 apostles and that Luke would go on to tell us that the people who were there, who were present, came from 14 different foreign areas because in those 14 areas, out of those 14 areas, guess how many languages were spoken there? 12. There were 12 different languages represented there. One of the foreign areas that Luke specifically names as being present is people from Rome. He actually tells us that there were both Jews and Gentile converts to Judaism from Rome. After believing the gospel message and returning home, going all the way back to Rome, these are the people who founded the church in Rome. What a blessing that the Roman church from the very beginning consisted of both Jew and Gentile. But it was unquestionably confusing for them as well to have realized that they should be welcoming, they should be accepting anyone who followed Jesus as their Savior. In case they didn't fully realize why they should be accepting others as God had accepted them, Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 12, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is to the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come Come, the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. See, the beauty of this passage is that it's really a mosaic. It's a collection of scattered individual pieces of the Old Testament, all placed side by side to show that one of the primary themes of the Old Testament was the expectation that the Messiah, Jesus, would bridge any and all cultural divisions between Jews and and Gentiles. The church is to be a hybrid community of fellowship. The Roman church that Paul's writing to consisted of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, uh, people who were slaves, people who were free, people who were old and people who were young, people who were rich, people who were poor, people who were strong, and people who were weak. Do you think it was easy for them to accept one another? Do you think that came naturally for them? Not at all. It's contrary to human instinct. It's contrary to the desires of the flesh. Differences abounded, but there was one thing that they all had in common. They all followed Jesus, and thus they belonged to him. Paul's telling them that they therefore stand on common ground. 
I mean, isn't that part of the beauty of the gospel? Apart from God's mercy, we would all die in our sins, and thus we all rely equally on God's mercy for our salvation. The principle here is that our identity should be so wrapped up in Jesus that we can't help but be united with someone else whose identity is found in him. And so with that said, it's better to err on the side of loving acceptance than it is to err on the side of caution. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, our purpose and our desire should be to glorify him together in the form of a community. We need to be asking ourselves, who am I to view as dirty the person whom Jesus has made clean? Who am I to reject someone that Jesus died to accept? If his blood bought my heart and the heart of a person that I have some minor differences with, how can I not, in good conscience, accept that person? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time. And Lord, I know ahead of time that there will be people who disagree with this. I know that myself, uh, just a few short years ago, I, I would have disagreed with some of the things that, uh, that I've said today, some of the things that you taught me as I studied your word. And so I pray, Lord, that this time that we've had will not be something that's divisive, but something, Lord, that maybe just gives us a different perspective. Lord, we know that it's easier to talk about this principle than it is to put it into practice. And so I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to do it correctly. Lord, I know that if we carried all of these principles out consistently, that we would make mistakes. We would welcome people who really have no interest in serving you or in teaching truth. So give us a spirit of discernment, Lord, that we might know the difference. God, we thank you that you have made us all one. We thank you that you loved us so much that you would die for each one of us. Teach us to be humble, Lord. Thank you for this time. We pray that you would teach us to glorify you, not just with our words, but with our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.